0: all right gang welcome to episode two of the snow jobs dustings as always i'm steve and i'm joined by my partner jeremy we have michael santalucito from outdoor pride in new hampshire back with us today and he's going to give you part two of his topic which is asking the right questions to gather the proper information needed for your rfp before you prepare your bid all right, we've got a lot of feedback from everybody about that first Dustings episode, so we're going to have Michael keep going with his topic on this because he's been plugging away and uh, there's a lot of good information there that everybody should get. So Jeremy, you got anything to add about the first Dustings episode? No, it was pretty pretty good. I liked it. Uh, like you said, I, some people were asking me about it, and uh, so we thought we'd get Michael back on and uh, do a little more. Absolutely. All right, Michael, welcome back to the show,
1: brother. Thanks for having me back. Appreciate it. It's fun. No problem.
0: A lot of good information out there. A lot of positive feedback from everybody. So, uh, you know, we'll do round two, as long as you're willing to
1: do it, (laughs) we'll
0: we'll keep going to the
1: well, you know, it's a fun topic because, uh, you know, every RFP is always going to be a little bit different depending on the industry that you're kind of going after for the client. But, uh, this is also like, like the new guys coming into the commercial world. This is really a great opportunity where you're in front of these clients you know and you ask asking these questions you know you kind of feel they feel like you're more a part of their team and a part of their process and you care about their property as much as they do so they they don't feel like you're trying to like cater these rfps to make it easier for us the snow guys they, they usually feel like you know we're a part of whatever they're trying to uh to do snow and uh safety wise so it's it's a great it's a great thing to get uh in the habit of doing with these questions and uh, i can I can go on and on about these because I, I read so many RFPs a year, but uh, it it just kind of it expands more and more with uh, the industries that you get into. and a lot of the uh, the the industries that we service, you know, they're usually a wide open property. So a lot of guys that are listening to this that have smaller buildings that may have uh, you know less questions, less restrictions, more cut and dry. You know, it's still good to go over these as kind of like a a learning exercise with your clients at the end of the day absolutely absolutely
0: well the floor is yours bud so you can take us away and go to the next five uh things that you need to prepare a proper rfp
1: yeah absolutely so uh you know, out in, uh, in the Boston area, the Massachusetts proper, we uh, we have quite a few parking garages on a lot of these properties. Some of the buildings are actually attached to those garages. Some of those garages are kind of underneath. Maybe there's like two or three levels below that building. And, uh, you know, sometimes they have some uh, jogs that stick out, you know, out past where the snow can actually ca- uh, catch that area. But a lot of it is just uh, regular standard parking garages. And thankfully, with a lot of the um, electricity initiatives out here in the state, they're converting a lot of these garage spaces to uh, rooftop solar panels, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot less snow removal that happens on these garages, thankfully for us, because you know garages are kind of they're tricky to do. You can only use uh, poly edges or rubber edges. They don't they don't want you to use any steel edges so you don't damage the deck, um, as well as like chloride use. You know if you got some kind of roof covering there right now, you you don't really need to use a whole ton or even any at all. You can usually just kind of leave it and let the sun do its thing at the end but with uh with parking garages we um we typically run our bobcat s-76s or s-66s depending on the roof height and some of the things we've run into with the older infrastructure is weight restrictions so i would usually ask a client you know usually they have an evaluation done every year on like uh, how the structure is uh, with uh, the care and if there's any damages any defects anything like that so I usually ask, do you guys have a spec sheet of what weight needs to be on there or or what uh, weight can't be on there? So our 76s are about 8,600 pounds dry with no bucket. The 66s are 7,100 pounds, no bucket. And usually those are okay for some of the bigger decks because they're built for that weight class. But some of the smaller garages that you have, they may recommend that you go below 5,000. And, you know, in comes a lot of these RTV, UTVs that guys are really picking up on right now. You know, Boston mm-hmm. Fisher, they make some really great attachments for these. So yep. you can usually get those between 2,300 and 3,000 pounds if you get a, a plow sander option on it. And you can clear those decks almost as easily as you can with a skid steer or a truck. Um, it'll take a little bit more time, but, you know, you'll be safer in that realm and cause less damage, which will be good. Um as far as chlorides, we, we manufacture our own brine. We don't cut it too, too often because our storms don't fluctuate too far below 30 degrees, or at least now they don't typically. Um, if we do have to cut them, we usually mix Ivy, um, the liquid ice be gone, which is the 50% mag, 50% DCS. And we can use, you know, probably 30 to 40% less, uh, chloride on that deck, which will mitigate, a little bit of the corrosion that you'll have in there which is good and uh it it lasts a pretty good amount of time with the uh with the IVG in there and uh you know our guys enjoy using it because it's easy to spray they can put it in a, a backpack sprayer they can they can go up to doors with the hand wand that a lot of these trucks have and just do a quick little spray on the back of the UTVs you know we use uh, some Camion products and they have uh, a nice unit in the back of some of our UTVs that can do the same thing with the the bar attachment, but then you can use the hand wand for getting close to mm-hmm. the door, which is nice. Um, and as as a rule, like you always just want to ask, like, what are you guys comfortable with for us using up there? Because normally they don't even know and they don't really care. Yeah, and they'll just say you, you. use whatever you need to. Um, and that that's really all I got for garages. Garages are pretty straightforward. Um, we do. As far as like removing the piles, you know, sometimes these older garages, they don't want you to leave any piles up there just because of uh, structural defects that are probably need to be fixed at that point. So we we buy a bunch of the snow wolf and the bobcat version uh, snowblowers for our, our skid steers, and we do a lot of snow blowing on these decks or in the off chance that there's no surrounding area off those decks where you can offload the snow with a bucket or a snowblower. You, you can always bring a uh, pickup truck with a, uh, a low profile dump trailer and it's a slow process, but you can haul it off the, the uh, garage that way and bring it to a section of the property to do it yep. uh, a little more safely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, covering garages, that's really it. Um, with, uh, with some of these tighter sites, um, as far as, you know, having a snow farm, if you have one local to you, that's great. Um, You know, I usually like to ask the client, is there anywhere that you know of or that you've used where we can store this stuff safely, the snow after the storm? And, you know, there's been a few instances where we've had to truck it immediately after the storm is done and have trucks waiting there, like pretty much after the last flake is done. I've seen a few guys in our area that have some uh, retail spaces that need all their spaces back immediately, and they have triaxles going during the storm. Like they have a round robin truck. Going, you know, maybe three or four trucks going back and forth, back and forth to the snow dump. There's a dedicated loader loading those trucks, and everybody else is just plowing away, and bringing the snow to that pile. It's kind of a cool process to see. Uh, you know, we have a lot of tight campuses and uh, retail spaces here, so we we're always maxed out on space, unfortunately. So the client really will kind of dictate what they want because they know there's going to be a huge cost or a, a medium cost associated with that. But usually they're pretty receptive to it, and they already budgeted for it, which is nice.
0: Very cool. We've done that before. We've had a couple of big storms, and we've had trucks waiting, like, probably only a couple of times. But it was, it was pretty pretty fun, actually. I and mean, the guy's pushing, and you're blowing in the trucks as they're coming in and out. So, so you're hauling immediately. You're hauling yeah. during the snow as guys are pushing. We've actually. only done that like a couple of times. That was back before COVID when we had a place that was just jam-packed full of cars, so we had to have it. Mm-hmm off the site right away but yeah it was fun understood all right
1: and then uh the next one i got is storage for your equipment can be your shovels your sidewalk equipment your skids usually all that fun stuff so you know where where we work out here in central mass and northern mass a lot of our sites are pretty large so there's usually a, a dedicated area for us to use or you know they have a a salt bin structure in place that the, uh, the client has built and purchased themselves. And you know, whoever, whoever gets more of the contract gets to use that area. We we usually use a lot of storage containers for our calcium products to keep it dry, shovels, uh, vests for the guys, push spreaders, whatever they need. And uh, a lot of our equipment will be there with uh, padlocks on the skid steer doors because we know how much people love to steal skid steer doors now. <laughs> That's a thing. It's it's, oh, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Um, And then, uh, as far as uh, equipment storage, as well, if you have a tight site and they don't really have a space for you, if you have maybe a property around the corner, which you know, Steve, I know you probably have a lot of these since you have a pretty uh, dense route, as you and I have talked about. You know, if you can keep something around the corner down the street and you can road it pretty safely, you can kind of mitigate that as well.
0: Yeah. For us, the most important question to ask is if we can't keep it inside somewhere, do you have somewhere on your site where we can plug it in? You know, keep the, uh, we put a trickle charger on the batteries and we'll put a, uh, you know, basically a tender on the batteries and we'll plug in the block heater when it gets cold. And that's a big plus to, uh, to not have to go jumpstart machines with, especially with all these computers, we've had it happen where the voltage drops too low when it starts. And now you're going to, have a uh, cat or case or whoever come out and reset all these codes that popped. So
1: yeah. you're out of the game with all these computers. That's great. That's a good point. Do you uh on your equipment, and I know Jeremy, I know your cats probably do and our Komatsu's do, but do, does case have um kind of like a, a system that alerts you for uh, voltage drops on your skid steers and your loaders um like compacts or any of these other uh, softwares that they use. I believe they do. We do not have it.
0: Uh, we do not. I think it's what the case link or something like that, but we, we don't have the telemetrics. We don't, uh, we, we don't have that in our machines because basically, I mean, we're only using them in the winter, really 90% of our equipment is snow only. So it's, uh, the
1: rest of the time it's, it's at our shop in our yard. Yeah. That's about the same for us. We found that, uh, with the loaders we can shut the batteries off which is great but you know you, you lose the GPS feature with that machine if god forbid anybody decides to take it for a run down the road and never yep. you never see it again <laughs> we've never had that happen thankfully knock on wood but uh, we have noticed there's a little bit of a trickle effect on uh, those software programs that are constantly reading the machine so like for this weekend it's going to be like 8 degrees for us we'll probably kill the batteries you know after we treat the fuel and for sites that we have electrical hookups to, we'll plug everything in the skid steers, the loaders. But a, a lot of our sites, we don't really have that uh, availability, and a lot of sites around here, they don't. Uh, they would really prefer you not have your stuff tethered to their building. So you, you might get lucky. You might have a client that's cool with it because they understand that uh, you know the engine obviously needs that if you get a, a cold, cold storm, so you can at least get going and start moving the snow in their lot. Uh, we've actually had it where places that don't have anything where
0: they they want us to store the equipment remote from where we would normally do it. Uh we've we've just asked a simple question. Hey, listen, if we pay for our own electrician or your electrician whoever you use to come in and put a couple exterior outlets out for us, you know, is that something if we were willing to absorb the cost, would you do it? And we've we've been told, yeah, absolutely,
1: you know. Well, whatever you need. If you're paying but, for it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's funny you bring that up. We actually Few years back, I'm thinking out we had a site in Andover that we found some uh, some 125 plugs on the poles of the uh, the parking light uh, mm-hmm. structures because they were using them for uh, for Christmas lights on some yep. of the trees in the surrounding area. So that that kind of came in handy because it that's wasn't huge storage area, but we just moved everything over there for a cold day or a cold weekend, left it yep. plugged in, and then moved it out.
0: Yeah, that's like finding buried treasure. That's uh... yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> jackpot! Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Yeah. Storage, storage is key. I mean, that kind of affects your pricing a good amount if you can sure. or can't leave stuff on there. But, uh, mm-hmm. most clients are pretty receptive to it. They understand that it needs to be there and they actually prefer it to be there. Um, the, uh, the next topic I came up with, and I came across this when I started doing a lot more campus work, you know, we have a lot of buildings that, We'll have emergency egresses that are either in lawn spaces, in garden spaces, or, you know, leading out on a cement pathway to the street, you know, getting a, a map from the client of where a lot of these are so that you can gauge the shovel time and the snowblower time needed to do a lot of these. Because some properties, they you can go there and not even realize it could be tucked behind a large shrub or a tree or, you know, it could be out in the back 40 for a large building. You don't even notice it, but you still need a pathway to it. So... Shovel hours are kind of a moving target because if you've never done the place, you can throw a, a number at it and hope you hit it based on previous sites that you've done. But a lot of buildings that you do, you'll find that uh, after the second or third year, you'll be able to tweak it and perfect those numbers. So don't. For guys that are starting out, getting into the commercial world, don't get discouraged if some of your num- your hours and your pricing is off in the first two years. It, it happens to all of us. That nobody's perfect on the first shot. Nice
0: all right what else do we got here what's next
1: mike let's see we covered garages uh equipment storage uh That's storage for awning yeah awnings is a big one so we did uh, a few retail spaces that had some awnings that had to get taken care of i actually had a few uh, charter schools that i kind of had adjacent to some campuses i was doing and they required us to do the awnings but they didn't is specified in the RFP which is a little a little annoying but I get it like it's a multi-use building that they weren't really expecting to uh, have a school enter into so when they did the um when they did the awnings you know they just asked us like hey can you just bill us you know whatever the hourly is for us to have you guys clear this after the storm because it it is one of those things where it's a liability for a lot of us if that stuff slides off and hits somebody in the head usually after the sunlight hits it turns into a nice sheet of ice as it melts and you you can split somebody's skull, but pretty easy. So if you just look around and see if there's any kind of a a roof drain or an awning or something that's going to kind of drip onto an area, um, you know, gauging how much time it's going to take to do that. Or if you need specialty tools to do it, you know, if you need to get a lift or if you need to just get a basic roof rake, you know, stuff like that can really affect your pricing as well. So you do that every time or? Yeah, usually at the end of the storm. If we get a big enough storm, like 12 inches plus, usually we'll just ask the shovel team on site, like, hey, can you just hit this now just to kind of get the meat of it off? doesn't have to be perfect. Just get the majority off, and we'll get the rest after the storm's done.
0: Okay. Michael, do you – I've been getting this question a couple times in the last week, I think since we had Brandon uh, from LADC on the show, uh, because everybody sees his videos of them doing rooftop snow removal – uh, I've been getting asked the question, if we do that, no, we don't, we haven't, at least we would probably do it if we were asked, but uh, it's not something we do or specialize in. Do you guys do rooftop snow removal? We do only
1: when there's a certain amount of uh, weight up on the roof. So a lot, of our, a lot of our contracts with clients will have a cap in there of, you know, if you have uh, over two feet or three feet on the roof and, you know, you have some weight issues that you want to make sure you take care of. We've done it like in the 2015 year. We had cranes going nonstop with those Home Depot dumpster bags, and you know, numerous shovel teams and uh, and labor forces going up on some of these roofs and just you know, bagging it off one by one by one with a loader waiting to uh, to take that pile away to the nearest snow dump. So it, it's something that you won't run into too often unless you get a heavy snow season, which we sure. haven't really had for a while, thankfully. But uh, it, it is pretty uh, a common question that you'll get from the client. You know if you guys do it and it's not it's not a super scary thing to get into I mean obviously you want to check with your insurance to make sure that your binder will cover that stuff um, you know as long as you get a good connection to a crane company and uh, some labor force or even if you know like a, a roofing company in the area that may be laid off at that time you know usually those guys are uh, more ample to get some hours for their employees so they're they're gonna go up there because they know what you know, rubber roofing, the damage it can cause going up there. I, I always like to go after roofing guys because they know how to Absolutely. save roofs off roofs. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Have you seen these guys uh, get plowed Alaska? They have a conveyor belt system that they use. They got, like, walk-behind snow blowers up there. They blow the snow into a deflector that puts it onto the conveyor. Conveyor carries it right off the roof. <laughs> got no, motors yeah. down below. Pretty Definitely cool. Yeah yeah i said that's genius guys that's uh we definitely got to get those guys on at some point they're thinking outside the box
1: oh yeah 100 it it's probably like uh just the basic conveyor they used to bring like stone into a basement yes. when yeah that's their- it
0: like six or seven sections of that conveyor and it just goes right off the roof and they got they build like some kind of uh deflector and they just snow blow right into the deflector puts it right on the conveyor and you know, yeah. They said they're tweaking it,
1: <laughs> a little little. Don't, uh, don't tell Sunbelt what you're using it for, and you're fine. Yeah, <laughs> there you <right>. go.
0: <laughs> uh, all right, I think we got it, Mike. I appreciate yeah, it's, it. You, it's another uh, another great one. I, I we appreciate you coming on and uh, and doing that. And like I said, we're gonna have to continue along this line because I, I think everything you're saying is very important information for guys to have, you know, going into preparing a bid. And then maybe you can even take us down, uh, preparing a bid, what to look for and stuff. Yeah,
1: no, I'd <laughs> love to. And yeah, it, it gets interesting because you kind of you have the reins at that point. The ball's in your court, so you're, you're educating the client on what they need versus what you know they're used to getting, which is always kind of fun. It's it's an educational thing for them, and it kind of shows them that you know you really are the snow professional. At the end of the day, you're you're the one that they can trust with this stuff.
0: Hundred percent. So, Jeremy, you got anything else? Oh, it's uh, Mike. Did a good job there. Yeah, he he knows what he's doing. That's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Mike, always a pleasure, and uh, we'll we'll talk to you again very soon. Thanks, guys. I Appreciate. It. All right, guys. That's it for uh, episode two of the Dustings. We'll see you next week. Keep pushing.